0: Hello and welcome back to We Not Me, the podcast where we explore how humans connect to get stuff done together. I'm Dan Hammond. And I am
1: Pia Lee. How are you? I am super well, thank you. And I'm really excited today about our guest. We are excited. Yeah, we've been talking about this one for a while, haven't
0: we? We have. This is really going to be amazing. And it's prompted Quite a lot of pondering to me about how we're going to be talking to a firefighter, a volunteer firefighter, Sandy Quirinale. And, and it really reminded me that while we talk a lot, of, lot, there's a lot of chatter on LinkedIn and we certainly talk a lot about it, office dwellers talking about hybrid working work from anywhere, there's a whole group of people out there and teams that don't even work in offices in the first place. And, and they're sort of a little bit ignored, but of course, they, we utterly rely on them. So I'm really excited to so go to the front line and hear what that's like from a team point of view.
1: And even another layer on that, uh, when we talk to Sandy, it's voluntary. So some of these people are not actually being paid for you know, a, a dangerous services that they provide to us at, at 3 a.m. in the morning when we are <laughs> <laughs> we're on fire and we need someone to turn up. So I I am. This is such an exciting opportunity because. Uh Sandy is quite unique in being a female firefighter in New Jersey. So let's go over and hear from her. When I saw the opportunity through your sister, who I'm on a program that I was run for uh, as a tech startup, and I read your story as a volunteer firefighter, I had to reach out and hear your story on We Not Me. So absolutely delighted that you were generous enough to join us.
2: Thank you. And I'm hoping we don't get a fire call during this interview. Oh, if we That's do right. that, would will be
1: exciting. Take us with you. Take yes, us with I'll you. take you oh, with yeah, you. Exactly. There's, there's so much to talk about in terms of teamwork. But before we do that, I'm going to hand over to Dan, who's going to do the starter card question with you.
0: I have a pack of conversation starter cards in my hand here. In fact, I have three mini packs. I have a pack of red cards that has a set of tricky questions on them. I have a set of Orange cards that have medium questions on a set of green cards that have sort of more simple get to know you type of questions, but they're all a way to get to know a little bit about our guests. Which would you, which from which pack would you like me to choose a card?
1: Oh,
2: tough. Tough decision, but I'll go with the orange pack because that reminds me of fire. And we're here to talk about fire fighting.
1: <laughs> I, I was wondering. I was listening to you. I was. I was
0: just thinking. Is she Same choose thing. I was hoping you'd go with fire, and even made it, nearly made a reference to it. But I thought no. I. I, I probably I shouldn't. Want to stay right, let's get. Let me just choose a random one here. Okay. The question is, it's actually not a question. It's a statement you have to complete. I get really directive when.
2: Ooh, that's easy for me because when I have the opportunity to be in the officer seat in the truck, I get really directive. <laughs> I you're supposed to take charge and I do. I have no problem directing.
0: That's <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> that's a very specific answer, but wonderful. Well, we're gonna we're gonna hear a bit more about that world. I think our listeners will understand a bit more what what that means. Some or people make
2: something spicy.
0: Oh, I'm sure not. I'm no, sure not. not at all. No. Yeah. So so sandy perfect answer. Thank you. And why don't we just talk about how you get into that seat in the first place? Talk talk to us about your career, and then how you got into firefighting. What's how do you end up in that? Uh, in that seat.
2: Sure. I mean, it was sort of a circuitous route to firefighting because uh let's say post college, I spent about fifteen years in corporate America. Uh big companies like GE Capital and Johnson and Johnson helping them improve the way they work, improve their processes. I'm a master black belt and having that perspective has always made me very focused on processes and how they work and also working with large cross functional teams so that was about 15 years and then uh when my second son was a couple years old i took time off to be a stay at home mom and for a while i did more traditional volunteer work that you would expect and about 3 years ago when my son decided on his 16th birthday he was going to join our local fire station and i was driving him back and forth and Then I was driving him friends back and forth, and then I'm driving him to fire calls and everything. I decided maybe I should just check this thing out.
1: How did you feel when your son wants to become a firefighter at 16?
2: Although I grew up with six sisters and my father had passed away when I was young, so it was very much all-girl household, my current household is very testosterone-filled. My husband... My two boys are always doing things, speed skiing or, or, you know, snowboarding or whatever it is, high risk sports. So I actually wasn't the least bit surprised when he wanted to join at age 16. And we also had some personal experience. We have a wilderness place and he was with me when our cabin exploded. And we've also had uh, wilderness fires up in this area that we've had to put out. So firefighting wasn't. Totally new to us. We were just never
0: trained. Wow. wow, Sandy, just locate yourself for us. Whereabouts are you based? Where does your firefighting work take place? Right
2: here in Central New Jersey, uh, Blomberg, New Jersey, actually, just outside of New York City. So, and it's a very rural town. We probably have, on average, one call a day, unless it's a situation like Hurricane Ida, where we actually had like fifty-five calls in that night. Can
0: you take us into your world, Sandy? Take our listener into your world. What is this like to be a volunteer firefighter?
2: It's an incredible experience. When I joined, I wasn't really certain. It sort of just happened, as I said, with my son and everything. But then I was there for a while and they were like, hey, the rule is you have to go to fire school within a year. And I was like, okay, fire school is a huge commitment. 240 some hours. And that's just to get you your basic qualifications. And then the work begins. You have to drill constantly because everything has to become muscle memory. So being part of the fire department here is an incredible experience. It's one big team environment. uh, And we all work very hard together. So that has a very special result for us, that we know each other very well.
1: And I guess the, the, the question is, you're female. How many other females are in the fire station? And is this unusual for you being female joining the team?
2: Yeah, surprisingly, our station, or fortunately, our station has always been, relatively speaking, relative to the fire service, which is very traditional, quite diverse, just all kinds of females and in different interests and backgrounds. So, But in terms of females now, because the fire service doesn't currently allow you to go through fire school until you're 18, it means a lot of them, the younger ones, the females, end up having to go. They go to fire school, but then they have to go off to college. So it's a little unfortunate. So right now, I'm the only non-college active female firefighter. And it yeah, it is quite interesting. You have to have Thick skin to be a firefighter and to be in this environment all the time, but you know, <laughs> it's there's a lot of four-letter words that go around, but it's all in good spirit.
1: And that's not fire. That, yeah, that's not no. the word fire. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've talked a lot about diversity. That's what's so interesting about your role and, and what you're doing. So, so tell us a little bit about how does teamwork work within your fire department, and I guess your role. Like, how's the diversity of roles fit together?
2: The diversity that we have becomes valued once they get to know, we get to know each other and what your specific skill set is. So let's say everyone, in terms of diversity, everyone here, all the firefighters, we have other roles, but all the firefighters have to have gone through fire school. And then if you want these additional certifications like motor vehicle extrication or swift water, Operations or any of these extras you can get them, but the real leveraging of diversity happens once we get to know each other, and especially our leadership gets to know the crew by spending time together, and then they say like, "Hey, she's pretty fast, actually, and she knows she knows her radio stuff, so let's put her. I know what she could do, and then they might be like she gets cold really easily, so don't put her in the water so." It's little subtleties, like somebody might be a little hesitant to go up 30, 40 feet on a ladder. Other people don't mind at all. So these little innuendos you get to know only once you really spend time working with your crew in very uh, intense situations. But that's a huge advantage that I didn't experience in the corporate world, although we worked very hard and long together as teams. Having these intense experiences together, they're very life or death at times or that situation, it does really make you get to know each other quickly because you see how people react in good times and in bad.
0: And do you tend to work with the same group or is it the same team you tend to work with or does that change?
2: Because we're volunteer firefighters here at our station and in most of the stations across the country, it's really volunteer. I think it's like 70 or 80 percent. First of all, we always work as a team of two because one of the first things you learn in fire school is uh, no freelancing. Um, Freelancing is when you think for yourself, which is fine. We all want to think for ourselves, but Chief says, go do something. And you're like, no, I have a better idea. I'll do it this way. That's freelancing. You don't do it. It can be very dangerous. You also don't go into dangerous um, environments without a partner. So everything basically we do here at the fire service is at least a team of two. But then what happens is you get on the truck and you might be working with someone. You're going to get there and you're going to have to force the door. So you and a partner do forcible entry, but then the truck has a whole another group of people. So you're one big team. And then we might get to the scene and it's like, oh no, this is a non-hydrogen. So we have to call in a tanker task force. So that's called mutual aid when you get help from neighboring um, fire departments Mm -hmm. because we don't have enough resources to handle it or we don't have the resources. And then it even expands beyond that, the fire service into a national model. It's called NIMS or National Incident Management System. And it, it provides structure as well as to how teams work together when it comes to national disasters and emergencies and other events so in the fire service i would say there's everything is team based and this whole approach is supported by very structured guidelines
1: and it's it sounds like it's interesting because we we had a conversation with a general last week and it sounds quite quite similar to the military so it's got that sort of freedom within boundaries, got the the ability to be able to to deal with the situation that you're in, but there's a there's clear sort of rank and and title and sort of a command structure as such that sort of goes through. Is that is that similar?
2: Very much so. I mean, we have a whole span of control. So there's an ideal team is three to seven, targeting five. So it's very structured, and we have a. Specific way of common terminology. So I'm on the Alpha Bravo side of Division Two smoke showing. That's very military. There's the whole chain of command. You don't just go to the chief if you need a new pair of gloves. There's a whole, you know. And it's yet yet at the same time that sounds very bureaucratic, but it's not because the rules are so clear that when you get to the scene, you know exactly what you chief says. Grab a line and put out the attic fire he doesn't say like how to grab the line or how to climb the stairs or what tools to get he just gives you those things so having the structure also gives you the freedom to act appropriately
0: and sandy in the early you mentioned the amount of practice you do it, it strikes me that you go out i imagine you you don't know what you're going to see see it must be multiple different scenarios everything is different how do you practice in that situation? What well, talk to me about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, it's true because we've done a lot of flood rescues during these recent hurricanes. We do fires, we do motor vehicle extrications, we do cat and trees.
1: That's uh, real then. That that's real. You really do get caught. We really out for do cat and
2: trees. If we have the time and we can manage community service. And we did do one recent <laughs> and it was successful. <laughs> that's good to hear. Uh But when you drill a lot, so we're constantly doing drills at the station and at the fire academy and on your own, it becomes muscle memory. And so when we get to a scene, it's always a little chaotic because you don't really know smoke showing or is it just a fire alarm? What time of the day? What we don't know who we have. It's, we don't know where, which crew we're going to get that kind of thing. So, but by drilling a lot together as a team and even on your own, it becomes muscle memory. So when you grab the line and there's smoke showing up in the attic, you're not thinking about how you grab that line, you're just grabbing the line. And now you can start focusing on the smoke showing in the attic. And what's my plan really going to be aside from what Chief told me to do? So it really frees you up. The the training frees you up for higher level team thinking.
1: And I think that fire in the attic was a real situation, was it not?
2: Yes, it indeed was. It was about Three thirty in the morning. And, you know, so often you get a call and it just says like odor of smoke and it's nothing or odor of gas and it's nothing, but I never really, uh, I always take them pretty seriously. And so that's where some people say I'm just a little too intense. They're like, you're dressed already. I'm like, yeah, never know but that's what I know. Exactly. <laughs> do you go do to
1: sleep in your fire gear? Do you ever do that?
2: I'll give you an example of what I have done for the fire service without getting too personal because there's other examples. But one example is I used to wear contacts and I could not get up quickly enough and put my contacts in uh, without like poking my eye or getting mud in my eye or whatever. So. And getting to the call on time in the middle of the night, then I was sleeping in my contacts and my eye doctor didn't think that was a very good idea either.
1: That's such a great light. Well, you wouldn't sleep very well. It's
2: a stick. I got Lasik surgery and fixed it so I could really handle that ah, situation. That's dedication. Yeah. It's been a challenge. There's been a lot of uh, different injuries and incidences along the way, but that's kind of par for the course.
1: I mean, it's incredible commitment for a voluntary activity. It's not like you're being paid for this. It really
2: is. There's also two sides. There's the fire department, which is emergency response side, where you have to drill and be in shape and continuously train and learn. But then there's also the fire company, of which I'm a trustee, and that's the side where you're maintaining the trucks and the building. And... So that takes a ton of effort for the same group of people. And then we do community service. So we do the Santa runs and going into the schools with the kids. So it it can uh, suck the living daylight out of you if you're not careful. Yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah, It's a full-time, full-time commitment.
2: Yes, it is. It can be.
0: And Sandy, it might be a question with an obvious answer, but what drives you to do that when you could be sitting with your feet up? (laughs) You don't seem like a sitting with a feet up sort of the person, but well, that what, drives the boot, <laughs> what drives you in the boot? What drives you in when it gets really tough and you're tired, and what keeps you moving?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just it is very rewarding when you get to the a scene and you see, like during Hurricane Ida, a couple was trapped on top of their car. If they had fallen off their car, it would have been bad news for them. And we had to get uh, our neighboring town to come over with a boat. And so we're waiting on the road, watching people. The road ahead was so flooded and the couple was hanging on for their life. And we're trying to call them with flashlights, say, like, hang on, keep, give them hope. And then in comes the boat from the neighboring town. And, you know, those things do inspire you to keep going when you see the girl jump off the boat. And she was so grateful for having been rescued or even the lady whose cat was in the tree. It's very rewarding. and. And the community services too, but it can be tiring, but it keeps me from doing things that maybe wouldn't be as healthy too. That's very true.
1: (laughs) I've always been intrigued. You must spend a lot of time. I don't know. I have an image and maybe that's, I'm sure that's wrongly perceived through seeing this on TV, but do you spend a lot of time in the firehouse waiting for the call to come in? And then how do you, what's the dynamic like amongst you as a team? Because you're coming together in this critical instant, but there must be a lot of downtime as well. And as you say, and you're also maintaining the vehicles and the firehouse itself. What's the, what's that dynamic like? And what's it like waiting sometimes for these things to happen?
2: The way our fire department works is we're, unless we have a duty crew where we have like a snowstorm and we wait, then we just all come from our, wherever we are, our homes are. So we don't sit here unless there is like a snowstorm or something. And I mean, about a a week or two ago, we did have a duty crew. I was here from 7 a.m. to uh, one crew spent the night. And I was here from like 7 to 4 the next day waiting for those calls. And the first thing we did when we got here was someone cooked up the pancakes, the eggs, the bacon, Anything. anything you can name that adds cholesterol. It was there. So we start by bonding together over food. It's really nice. Then we clean up then we might do a little forcible entry practice just for the sake of it, some shoveling of the snow. And then we're waiting around. And usually what happens is four o'clock comes, not a single call. We leave 20 minutes later, we're in the shower and we get a call. Right. (laughs) But indeed, when we do get a call, uh, let's say we're calling from home or, or at the station during a duty assignment, it's just pretty incredible. Everyone, you're not supposed to run, so everyone hustles in, goes to their gear rack, gets dressed in like a minute, figures out which truck to go on based on what type of call, figures out who's going to go on which truck based on who we have. It's slim pickings in the volunteer organization, so it's not like we have 20 people, we're going, okay, you four, you big guys, you go on this truck cuz we're going to need strong ones on this one and you little guys we're doing confined space go on this truck. We you kind of get what you get and then once you're on the truck, Whoever's the officer takes a look around and like does a quick size up before you even get to the incident where you do a size up. They do a size up about which team we have. And let's say they're all firefighters. We have different subtle skills. Some are more bossy. Others are stronger. Some people are more just agile with their tools. Uh, They have to make a quick size up and figure out how best to optimize the team very quickly like sometimes it's 3 minutes and we're on
0: scene that's so fast incredible and sandy you mentioned earlier that, that things there can be four letter words thrown around it can be quite what, what are, you, are you is there a lot of feedback goes on in this team but you know built on that level of trust do you do you get what does that look like
2: everybody really i mean for the most part we all get along and when i say we have four letter words they're they're kind of funny and they're all <laughs> said in jest and everything. Because we've all worked together so intensely, uh, we know each other. We don't necessarily all like each other super, super well. We're not all best friends. We're not at all similar. We're at different ages and talents and uh, skill sets and health levels and everything. But uh, we do know each other well. So usually when someone says something, we know where it's coming from. It's usually meant with the good yeah and I give it right back so it's not a problem
1: (laughs) (laughs) and do and what's the debrief process I mean we again talking to the general he was talking about hot debriefs which would be in a fire situation but do you take the learnings and, and and how do you do that process after after an incident
2: yeah absolutely some sometimes we have formal debriefs back at the station on our you know monthly Wednesday night meeting But so often we have debriefs right then and there. We just finished an incident, a structure fire or motor vehicle accident. And right there, the chief will grab us or one of the officers or even our chief engineer who has a lot of experience, grab us and just say like, hey, this went well. This didn't go so well. You know, I've been told by the chief, like, where's your tool? And I'm like, I have a water can and I've got a thermal imaging camera. He's like, that's not a tool. You know, so he, they tell you right away, like yeah. you're not holding a tool. Where's your tool? I got off to go to the attic fire, and it was like a perfect pull of the line. But right then and there, the chief engineer's like, uh, "Other way, <laughs> the house is," because the the chief had parked in a different driveway, and, and he's like, "Other way." So you get feedback on the spot, sometimes even
1: during an incident, and you've got to be able to take that. Then that's all with the with that, that greater intent that it's for your safety and the safety of the people that you're working with.
2: Right. And I mean, it's very intense. So the driver gets in the truck and we got to know where to go. And if you're in the officer seat, you better know you had to have gotten the page from home, gotten to the station, gotten dressed, gotten in the officer seat, know how to tell the driver where to go and then call county, tell them that you're responding and then count command that you're arriving on location. So, Sometimes there is a little the vo- voices raise, like "Where are we going?" Like, don't you ever get in that front seat unless because you-, you have to be responsible if you're going to get in there. And if you make a mistake, we all forgive each other, but we don't want people to do it again. And when you're in the heat of the moment, you have to just forget anybody's loud voices and just move on. We usually do. So yeah,
1: <laughs> we get yeah, too I tired
2: bet. to I dwell bet. on it.
0: Yeah, there's a job to do. and um, Sandy, we're very fortunate because you've seen so many teams. You've taken us into this world, which is almost unimaginable for most people, I think. We've also worked in this, in corporate America, as you said, in your Six Sigma role. What do you extract from this that as you look back? Look, look at or you take a sort of step back and look at this. What's at the heart of teamwork for you?
2: I really think the secret sauce here is that we know each other so well. And again, it's not that we like each other so much, but we know each other so well and we trust each other. And because of that, and because of the the strict rules, we we actually have freedom as a team, like an agile team would. We have the freedom to just do, as long as we stick within those guidelines, as long as we don't freelance, uh, we have the ability to work as a team and get the job done But I think the one advice I would give for people in corporate is if there was a way to get to know your team, and it's hard with COVID especially, to get to know your team better, especially if it's a new employee or anything like that. But even if there was a way to, you're not really putting those intense experiences that we are, that helps bond us really quickly. But maybe there's some kind of volunteerism that the company can do, like Habitat for Humanity, build a house together, do something intense, run a marathon for breast cancer, whatever it is, do something hard together. Even if it's for a very short period of time, it might help the team dynamics going forward if you know where people are coming from.
1: I think that's so true because it brings out a different side, doesn't it? And that having to dig a, dig deeper and that level of contribution, there must be so much to gain from that. I think it's a really the more you give the more you get thing and that that's not the reason for doing it but that's definitely mu- must be a, a huge value to yourself and to the team.
2: It is and it, it's the more you give the more you get but it's also the more you get to know each other the more you can leverage each other's skills mm. and also know about their weaknesses and not like pressure them in those areas and it's not really to know their skill because it's not are you certified in you know it's more of these soft skills your ability to learn something how do you learn how do you react in the corporate world it's not do you know how to use a certain software it's how well can you learn software that's more of the important question so you know that's the difference it's not looking at somebody going these are the skills they have but these are the abilities
1: yeah absolutely a final question for me i'm sure there's listeners out here who are in teams and maybe they feel that they are pigeonholed because they are the only male in the team or the only female in the team. What advice would you give to them?
2: I mean, for me, if you're feeling pigeonholed, I hate to say this, but you just work harder. I mean, you have to work smarter too. But I found when I first came to the join the fire company, it was very hard because I'm a female. I wasn't like a handy person. I had A family of boys they always fixed everything for me so I had no background and it was at first discouraging Uh, I had to work really hard to even sort of prove myself at a baseline point and then I but I find now that if I ever feel like discouraged the thing that picks me up the most is like learning a new skill because then I feel better about myself so if someone's feeling pigeonholed I would say try to get out there and learn some new skills and you will you'll it'll be self-fulfilling
1: prophecy. Very wise, very wise. I hope so. <laughs> wow, no, and, I, and I, just, I think your story is so powerful for such a number of reasons. And it's just been just su- such a huge opportunity for us to be able to talk to you because you're, you've got a clear understanding around teams and, and you put yourself in a life or death situation, which many volunteers don't do. So it's been a real privilege. Thank you so much. For being on We Not Me.
2: Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here. I really appreciate uh you're including me in this wonderful podcast. So thank you.
1: And enjoy your holiday and don't answer the phone. Exactly. <laughs> that is such a rich discussion. I, I feel incredibly privileged to have listened to Sandy today. What I picked up there was a few things. But it was a different take on diversity. I found we had a chat with Sahira around that, and it was a different way of looking at it. This was almost a gender-neutral view of diversity, if that is possible. I might be making it up. Yeah, sort of keep going with the, where the situation was. Looking at the diverse skills mm. and what was needed for the situation. So somebody that was small could go into an attic. Somebody that's Strong can pick up the thirty-five foot ladder, and and there's that level of teamwork that you're not precious and holding on to a task, and it doesn't define you. It's about what's needed in that situation.
0: Yeah, agreed, agreed. I, and I I thought she also touched on the mindset that people knowing how confident people would be in certain situations, and so. Yeah, it was a genuinely pretty advanced form of diversity, and I imagine when you're in dangerous situations, everything else falls away, and you just think, right, who is the right person for that job, and and off you go. It's yeah, there's a lesson there in for all teams, I think, to think about diversity in that really broad, broad way.
1: I love the no freelancing. I mean, that that wasn't anything to do with (laughs) moonlighting or anything like that, but it was very much about that in that tense high risk situation, you've got to follow a set of ways of doing things. And you can't just suddenly become innovative. And I think that's an interesting one because they, these are tried and tested and they're done to save people and to save the people who are saving people. <laughs> so you can yeah, see that yeah. when the risk is high. So that's, a, you've got to have that everyone sticks to that rule
0: you can imagine in those situations it would be tempting to go off plan to do something that you think is good but ultimately puts you or the crew in danger or even the people you're trying to save so that's an important rule there and uh, yeah it's it's, i think the same with all teams isn't it we see this where the team's doing one strategy but there are still people who are still on the old one or still doing things or try or whatever so just doing things their own way and Really bringing the team onto one page is, is sort of, yeah, the no freelancing sort of byword was great. And it ties into something else I took away, which actually Jim Molan talked about, which was practice. I was really surprised to hear how much you're able to practice when you're going to see different things. But I really liked her expression, you practice what you can, because then one, you just practice things that are going to happen. So that when you're then in the moment and things are happening for the first time that you weren't expected, your brain's actually ready to deal with them. You're leaving brain space for it.
1: I studied this once in sports psychology. It's called your schemas and you relegate your schema to a lower level, which means that you're learning a bunch of skills. You've got that down pat and it creates this sort of like this airspace for you to be able to really then scan the horizons. Really pick up almost intuitively a whole different set of information. So you can't do that when you're a beginner because you're over, you're overwhelmed. But when you get to that level, you relegate that level of knowledge.
0: And I think you put things, do you, into your limbic brains, your basal ganglia, which sounds awful, but I think that part of the brain uses very little energy. It's incredibly efficient, isn't it? So it's, we like to put things there if we can, but it's only through practice that we do that. And I think that you and I, in our work, we've started to do a bit more practicing of things, having heard from Jim, but Sandy's really reinforced that. There are things that, even in our c- complex, crazy changing world, that we know will happen and that we can actually practice.
1: And because of the culture around that practice and making it count, then you're going to really invest in it. Whereas I think sometimes we think that we can skid in sideways and by our fantastic individual brilliance achieve that (laughs) outcome but really this is about teamwork the teamwork needs to it needs to work and practice together
0: i don't know what you're talking about this 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 show pony has never been taken out for a run around the paddock
1: never so a a really great discussion and they keep rolling on so tell us about next week? In
0: a way, we're sort of staying at the front line. We're going to be talking to Martin Bromley, OBE, whose wife tragically died in a routine operation. And since then, he has campaigned for teams, clinical teams, to include human factors in their training, because it was actually a teamwork issue, not a clinical issue that ended up with this tragedy. So we will have an amazing discussion with Martin, I think, next week. Uh, looking again at a frontline team?
1: That would be a very poignant conversation, but I think uh, very powerful to be able to learn from such a tragic situation
0: definitely hey, so we're really looking forward to that but that is it for this week's show you can find the show notes and resources at squadify.net just click on the we not me podcast link under resources um if you've enjoyed the show please share the love and recommend it to your friends and also please go on to your favorite platform and give us a nice review uh we'd really appreciate that we not me is produced by mark Stedman of origin Thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.